0: Hey Humans, Susan Ruth here. On this episode of Hey Human Podcast, I spoke with Mark Friedman. And Mark has been in the world of music industry, uh, publishing for pretty much, I mean, his whole life, really. And uh, we spoke about all different types of things from uh, what he looks for and an artist and a writer, uh, what do you think of the music industry right now, where it's heading, uh, why it's important to know your history in music, uh, and uh, he talks about his story just uh, of where he started in the tape room and as an intern and how he moved up through the ranks by being prepared and always being one step ahead of the game, really. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Mark. Hey, you. How are you? Good and yourself. I'm well thank you thanks for being on hey human I really appreciate it
1: my pleasure yeah
0: so you are you're in California yes yes and uh, you have a long history of music business shenanigans so I thought it, it would be fun to to hear kind of your uh, your life story as it were about how you got into the music biz in the first place uh, your journey along the way and what you look for when you're looking for artists or writers and, and all that good stuff. So let's cover it all. Do you have like six hours? Is that cool? Yeah. 26
1: (laughs) 26 years. Let's start. Uh,
0: So how did you, where was your start? It was in California.
1: I'm born and raised. And ironically, just after high school, I was floundering around in, um, I was always a fan of music and I thought well I can do this, you know, or what is music business and I was working in a clothing store in Beverly Hills and I used to see all these A&R guys and producers and and executives etc and I was like what do you guys do? You know once they explained it to me I thought I can do that, how do you do it? And they said well you should really get an internship and I didn't even know what an internship was. So I said, okay. Now, Grant, I was uh, working in the clothing store and detailing cars on the weekend to make make do. Rod Stewart was one of my big client, so I would detail eight of his cars every Saturday morning. So that was as close to the music business as I was getting at that point.
0: Eight cars? Yeah. He eight was cars. doing okay.
1: He <laughs> was fine. He still is. Um, so I said, okay, internship. All right. So started calling around to the record labels and asking for the A&R department and uh, I wasn't getting through and I thought I'll go down to Capitol Records and I'll just walk in and and say I'd like to be an intern because that's what you do right I didn't get past the elevator they sent me home I was completely crushed and while sitting there I thought i right, I'll call one more label and i call Columbia Records this is a completely true story and I asked for the AR department. And a young guy answers the phone. I could tell he was a young guy. And he said, uh AR. And I said, Hey, I'm looking for an internship. He says, Oh man, this is incredible because tomorrow is my last day. Can you come in like this afternoon or tomorrow and meet with me? And I'm like, Of course, yeah. So I drive over to Columbia Records in Santa Monica, Century City, and he's just an intern. I'm literally interviewing with an intern, and he's like, Oh man, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. My boss is out of town. He comes back Monday. uh, Just show up Monday and make sure to bring a letter from your school. Now, I wasn't really in school. I was like in uh, community college and and doing criminology. Like, I was just floundering around.
0: Criminology? Yeah, criminology. That's a good preparation for the music business.
1: Yeah, exactly. Forensics. (laughs) <laughs> so, I thought, now bear in mind, this is pre-anything computer, anything technology, so I thought, okay, so I drove all the way to my community college, and I got one of the brochures for all the courses, and I Xeroxed the logo onto a piece of paper, and then I created my own letter stating that yes, I would be getting credit for this internship.
0: Oh my god.
1: So I show up Monday to Columbia Records and go to the N.R. department, and of course the guy I interviewed with, he's gone, and I haven't met the guy I'm going to be working for, and I sit down at one of the desks, they tell me, I'll oh, go sit over there, and I'm just, uh, immediately I'm handed a pile of cassettes to listen to, of unsolicited material, and then I'm sort of typing a form letter for passing, and until my, until my boss came in, and the office manager, uh, she was like three desks ahead of me, and she goes, do so you have your letter from your school? And I reached into my bag and I held it up like this and I could see she was you know, peering over her glasses and she went, oh good, just file it under internship and we'll be good. I said, okay. I stuck it in there, slammed the door and I was there for eight months, pretty much working every day. They figured it out. I played along. Oh, I've got to go study and I'd leave and come back and but I was, you know, it was free help. They paid me with uh, concert tickets and, and LPs and cassettes yeah. and, and food.
0: That's but, amazing.
1: Yeah, it's a wonderful story. And uh, it's like the old days when you just have to figure it out and fight your way in. And one thing, of course, will get it to led to another. And that was, that was the start.
0: Oh, my that goodness. See, I love stories like that. When I started my career, um, I... <laughs> you know, I didn't have anybody working with me or helping me, and, and so I would I would make up voice, change my voice, and made I made up names. I had a team of five, I had a manager and a booking <laughs> agent. I had a, um, a PR person, and I just changed the names around and called places representing me, and it was amazing how far I got with that bullshit. <laughs> Best way. Bullshit, man, it's a, the it's a great leveler. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nobody could trace it back then. It was, everything is so transparent. Back
0: I know. Like, you wouldn't be able to probably get away with it now. Although, people are so short, um, their attention span is so short, that maybe that you could, because who has time to look stuff up, really? True. True.
1: You should give a reason to go, hmm, something's right with that guy.
0: Yeah. Well, before we get into the more music stuff, so you were studying forensics? That's so cool. Did you want oh, to be a... yeah, I
1: really... I didn't... I was fascinated.
0: Are you a murderino? I'm a murderino. Are you a murderino?
1: I'm an ID channel junkie. Yes, we do not stop watching everything that is anything to do with crime solving or.
0: You would love the My Favorite Murder podcast. It is. Awesome! I devoured every episode. It's so good. It's really funny. If you can believe serial killers are funny, not the you know the, the people tied the people hosting it. These two women are hilarious. I highly recommend it.
1: He was a nice young man. I
0: don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's the one thing. So he was so mild mannered, so yeah, quiet. So he, he kept to himself. So he
1: killed all the cats in the neighborhood.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, he yeah. thought it was the coyotes, but it was that guy. <laughs> It was, <laughs> it was yeah. So where did you go? So you were interning at Columbia and you said they figured you out they realized you were full of crap
1: well, they, they realized but they weren't saying anything because they liked me and I was free help Yeah and you were doing and a I'm good job all that stuff no one else would care to do
0: So how, when you were listening through all those tapes which for those of you listening who don't know what a tape is, just google it <laughs>
1: Google cassette.
0: Google cassette. You'll you'll find.
1: I it. actually had two funny stories. One was I got a tape of a guy who was phenomenal. He was like a throwback to a Motown era, and I couldn't believe it. And I played it for my for my boss. he like, God, the guy's really good. He's really good. And it turned out he was a taxi driver in L.A. And I actually allowed him to come up because it was a big no-no. And bring me more material. So I let him pass security, got up to the ninth floor and he brought me more stuff. But he looked at him, he was like a 60 something year old man with this incredible voice, wrote these great songs and there was that time which was fine. Obviously I couldn't do anything with it. But I did let a guy in who convinced me to do that. And I go to the elevator and he runs past me and there was a, a stairwell that led up to the 10th floor where there was like a conference room ran past me, went up the stairwell, and busted into a uh, meeting in the conference room. And I was reprimanded for allowing this guy to hand-deliver a tape, because he got past me, and he just
0: went nuts. Oh my gosh.
1: Escort him out, yeah. that's just thought of nice. Exciting. And I had someone show up at the ferry desktop. I had a woman show up, uh, in a full Cinderella with the wand, and she was out of her batshit mind in the lobby. And of course, I'm here for Mark, he's telling
0: so like, and I'm like, oh man. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. That's oh, funny. It
1: just came to me, yeah.
0: And she's now Katy Perry. No. <laughs> <laughs> not, not exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to a rough start.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she turned in her fairy wings for uh, the tin boobs that shoot whipped yeah. cream. <laughs> yeah, yeah whipped cream. Yeah, takes all kinds. So where did you go from, did you stay in Columbia and work your way up there, or did you...
1: No, I realized um, free help only goes so far, and uh, for some reason, you know, through that course, eight months meeting people, obviously publishers and such, I wound up at a job at MCA, which used to be, well, Universal was MCA back in the day, and uh, publishing division, but I was the receptionist. So it was my next little baby step up. And that was interesting because I worked with some of the best publishers in the business at the time. I mean, really some great talent. So it was great to be around all them. But what I did is I used to have to type up the uh, pitch reports. And um, so I started to see the songs that were being pitched and what was going on. And I asked the tape room guy, tape room guy, to start making up my own cassettes of the songs that I kept seeing that were popular, and I would take them home, and I'd start listening to them, so I can get familiar with the catalog, so that I can be an asset down the line by saying, well, I know the songs, and but it it, it, it just, for whatever reason, I think I was there like eight to nine months, and crazy story of a music executive named Kathleen Carey was at Sony for 20 odd years before that Uh, she was at a company at Universal and it was folded and she she came into our offices to use the uh, the conference room to kind of get started again and she knew a lot of powerful people in the industry and she glommed on to me and she said listen I'm starting a publishing company how would you like to come work for me and we got a five year deal with Warner Chapel this is going to be amazing and I was like sign me up. So I left MCA and went to what was called Riata, and it's a fantastic independent company that lasted five years and the talent that came out of it was pretty damn exceptional. like my Don Thomas, which we can get into. Who I works. love. Uh, a fantastic country writer named Michael Smotherman. a uh, great artist named Chris Whitley who passed away some years ago. Chris Whitley, yeah. Yeah, we signed Chris Whitley, wow. so it's a really amazing. And I got into publishing; like it was the Wild West. You could pitch songs for film and TV. You could pitch to whatever it took. They'd sign them, and then if nothing was going on, they hand them over to me. It's like me and another executive operating. And that's how I learned how to pitch songs, get cuts. Uh, Nashville. I got into Nashville in like '91 started working in the country market and so that's where it really started
0: but you stayed in california that whole time right
1: oh, so I, to this day and i've had three companies in Nashville. i managed to go back and forth each month with hire staff obviously the second.
0: so it sounds like at the beginning of your career you were definitely in the right place at the right time but you were always one step at your preparedness was always yes. one step ahead yeah that's an important thing to to notice is that if you, my father, uh, he says that my uncle used to always say this that uh, opportunity knocks it doesn't nag, and so be prepared when the knock comes that you're already you're already ready and always say yes, of course.
1: And I was like, yeah, and I had no idea even what Riata was going to be for me, but I thought publishing seems safer and had more longevity than the NR I was watching the NR. Process, and you're as good as your last signing in, in A&R. Thinking, oh, I'm a young dad. And I was literally just married with a, a kid. I, I, I got to be in something. You know, I, this is already obviously a bizarre career to be in to begin with.
0: Do you think that's still true that A&R is uh, that that publishing is a safer? Well, there really isn't isn't A&R no, anymore. But I guess, it does. But...
1: It does allow you. You can buy more time at a publishing company as opposed to a, a regular deal. unless like okay. you're really good at being corporate, and playing low, and you know, I've seen people who are still holding on that blow my mind that they're still holding on that don't have to do very much. They just know how to, you know, mm. system.
0: They it's hide system. out in the coffee room when nobody's looking.
1: Yeah, or something, <laughs> yeah. You know, go out at night, like window dressing.
0: Yeah. Show face. Yeah. So where did you go from there? From the independent place.
1: From Riata. Uh, it was literally the five years and it was a change of guard at Warren Chapel, and they decided there were too many joint ventures, so they, they killed off the, the company. And luckily, uh, Chrysalis, which is no longer, but when it was, it was probably the best independent out there. Uh, Tom Sturgis was and the president was trying to hire me at the end of Riata, but he just kept like calling me, but it wasn't happening, and it was getting frustrating, he called me, and he offered me a, a job at Chrysalis, we met, and I went over there, and that was in 1995, and that was just something else, for we a major company, they had no pop roster, except the artists that were signed to the label, like Billy Idol, have yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that's all cool, but so I looked around. It was kind of like they wanted to start ramping up. So again, it was timing, and they had no country. They never went into national. Christmas music never had a national presence. So I'd spent all this time in Rihanna building up these relationships in Nashville, and I didn't want to lose it. So I looked for the hole, and the hole was national So within seven months, I had consultants, I had four writers signed. And Chrysalis was born in Nashville, and then after about just shy of a year, it uh, changed presidents. So a new president came in, me. he was leaving. Ask him on board well, that has been forever, and he said, Look, I love what you're doing, but let's go full bore. you know, let's do a proper budget. We need to have a presence. So I hired uh Stephanie Green, who, huh, in nineteen ninety-five. And then we I basically was told, don't come back. I stayed there for two weeks until so we had an office and everything ironed out and a setup. And launched. We launched, had a launch party, and this music was open, and I was going back and forth, and then I was running the pop, and then I had to go pop an d roster. So I was juggling. I had about 20 some signings at the time, but it was the best, you know, great contracts. I didn't have to think about my employment. I could just focus purely on building
0: and growing. Well, Nashville is so booming in the 90s. I mean, the music well, was, coming yeah. out of Nashville was incredible.
1: Everything at the time, I'll never forget. I was trying to, I was trying to sell a UK company on Nashville, they only knew Garth Brooks, which was fine because it was pretty huge. But I'll never remember, never forget that I would take the Billboard magazine, yes, there was actually a magazine, and I showed them the country charts, and everybody was either gold or platinum was literally such a booming industry that, you know, if you got a cut, it meant something. And, you know, the sales backed it up, and, you know, we ended up having an incredible roster, and, and I think we had 23 songs on the chart at the time. When wow. that they, they ended up freaking out after close to the fifth year, and instead of downsizing Christmas National, they just decided to they didn't trip over the, they didn't pull the plug, they just yanked it out of the wall. And they just dissolved and they'd roll it into another company down there and have them work in. It kind of became a hodgepodge and I, I, I literally had to kind of come back to pop and rock and, which was fine. I mean, it's what I mean. I did what I could do and.
0: Was Chris like, Whitley the impetus that got you to Nashville in the first place? I mean, what made you? No,
1: Michael, no, Michael Smotherman at the time, and a guy named Kevin Brandt was assigned to us as well. Those two names, especially Michael Spiderman at the time, was enough to get me, Lewis, or you name it at the time, I can get on the phone, this is pre-email, this is when you actually had to call someone or fax them, with roll paper. <laughs> and that's how you
0: did you it. You sent a carrier pigeon?
1: <laughs> yeah, I just threw it, you know. And literally, you FedEx a tape, Empty here. That was a big deal. FedEx did it, it as opposed to regular mail, and the cuts started coming. And the names meant something. And I was doing collaborations, and I was like, kind of meeting all these great people. You know, this is, I don't want to lose this. So I always, so it kind of stung a little when, I, when it kind of faded away. I was at Chrysalis for thirteen years.
0: Thirteen.
1: Yeah. Created for thirteen years, and. uh, in 07, I was approached to leave Rizzless and start up a new company. And it was uh, going to be a, a pop and a rock. And of course, I had the ability to say I wanted to be a national company. And the guy was full-fledged, of course, absolutely. So I was able to go back and start over again and create a company called RSP. And RSP was in Berry Hill, and I was running the company at the time, and I signed Randy Clark. Wow. I signed Josh Osborne, and Johnson. Um, oh, man, there's so many great, great, great talent that we signed out of there. And uh, Kim Jones was my plugger at the time. And we were two years in on that. Huh. And we merged with a company called Bigger Picture Group. That merger became the change. It was RSP became Bigger Picture Group, and they wanted to become more of a marketing promotion company. And they ended up killing off the publishing division that I built, which had Van Halen, Brandon Clark. Gosh, I mean, I had a whole amazing thing going with RSP. And they gave that all back and said, Take it, we're going to create this bigger picture group. And. Um,
0: I didn't even know you were a part of Bigger Picture, I don't think. No, because
1: it actually, I was there for the merger, the contract signing, and a few weeks thereafter, um, they decided that, you know, once the ink was dry, they decided they were going to change everything up, and let...
0: That worked out for them, didn't it? (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) Hey,
1: Josh, we don't, uh, we're not going to go forward with you anymore.
0: So what, Um, you, you have a knack for picking some big horses. Uh, What, um... Yeah. What is it that you think that you? I mean, what for you as a person when you when you hear music? What is it you're looking for? How do you select this person over the? Like, for example, Don Thomas, great example. I mean, God, the melodies on that girl and the lyrics. I mean, and what an incredible artist. And for those of you listening, if you've never heard of Don Thomas, trust me on this. Google her, look her up, and listen to her music.
1: Well, you got to hear the demos that I heard. And Stevie Wonder could see it. I mean, it was literally, that was a gift. I mean, that, I mean if you did hear that, in your ears. But uh, it's usually a gut. It's funny, it's, it's like sometimes it's strategic in terms of, oh, I need this because it'll cover this space for me that I don't have already covered, or um, what they do. Or, you know, it, it's a combination of things. It depends, especially when I'm starting and coming from scratch. I've got to strategically figure out what's going to come out with some impact, and, what's, and if there's something, if there's momentum already in place, uh, that's always a nice thing to come in with something. I mean, we started uh, Deluge. I'd Kevin Savagar, uh, who I've been working with since 1989, 90, published in 2002, and he's been signed to three different companies, Chrysalis, as RSP. I forgot about Burst, which I can get in this company called Burst, but that was five years of my life. A New York-based publishing company. Uh, that happened after RSP ended. When RSP ended, I was stuck with all these writers. I went and placed them all in the different companies. But David Leroth, I went back in Warner Chapel, which I took him from in 2002.
0: That's so for real.
1: I put him back there for an admin deal. And two former writers of mine, Chrysalis, had a lot of success, formed their own company. And it's always this the phone call, right? And he said, What are you doing? And I said, Well, ironically, RSP just ended. He was like, You know, I couldn't believe it because he was following me on that company. He said, I, I have major funding. I'd love to have you do what you do. Come on over. And I was like, I'm in. But he didn't want Nashville, they only wanted me to buy catalogs. So all of a sudden, I had to become a guy who knew how to buy catalogs. And so I did.
0: <laughs> just it's all on the way. You're learning all these different skills. Well, well what was amazing
1: also, again, I always thought it would be cool. I wanted to be on a chapel and I wanted to just die there, you know. But what I learned in the 13 years of Chrysalis was I had to do everything, or I got I got the ability to do everything. Terms of even the contracts, so I would draft up my own. Con- I would draft up the contract of ten months and create my contracts, and then go to business affairs. And Jeff Murrayback, uh, my mentor from business for thirteen years, we got to the point where he was teaching me so much and I was exposed to so much from Abbey deals to Co-Pub to you name it. I was doing all the contracts, and then within a day I could flip a contract and get it out. But all my buddies who were at Sony or whatever were like, couldn't. Didn't like go down that hallway, like that's what they do. when We do this, so they didn't get that exposure to all the different facets of what's going on in the business. You know, they yeah. just you know, had one one track way of doing things. So it was kind of that. Yeah, you got to wear all the hats. You know, you know, kind of the business you're in, all the way around.
0: So I think that goes for artists too. On the other side, you know that there's so many, especially the the young artists that I find too is that um, they don't even know the music that they're, you know, that they're stealing from now, you know, they don't even, they don't go back and, and listen to the the grandfathers and the grandmothers of the music that they are listening to now and they don't, they don't really know very much about, I think a person should learn how to book their own tour it's important, it's good to know how it works, you know?
1: I used to take artists at the time, at Christmas, if I had a young developing talent or something and I was trying to get into their head and what you know, their influences, et cetera, we'd go to Tower Records together and I would walk them around and I'd pick out CDs with them, if you're not aware of from the Mac Rumors or if you're not aware of Carol King Tapestry, and I'd load them up, like, go study, like, where, and they would inspire you, you know, in a you know, light like a little. Yes. It was nothing better than turning someone on to something classic and amazing, and they had no idea.
0: God, I could spend hours in Tower Records. That was the best. Those were a the young,
1: days. Signed the young Emily West, when she was fifteen, from uh, Waterloo, Iowa. Her name was not West. But it, was, it was given to her in Tower Records. Um, and I'd never forget taking her to Tower Records and loading her up. It was like the best thing ever. Because it was like Christmas for her great music that this young girl had no idea she had this incredible vehicle oh her
0: voice is exceptional yeah yeah
1: but it's like oh my god wait till you hear steve perry from journey sing in this one and that one, and she was just like it was awesome
0: yeah it was, it was so, awesome. so cool it was awesome. so okay now we're all the way up to the bigger picture and then what happens you that goes bu- bu- bye bye bye
1: Goes by, by, and I go to First Music Publishing, uh, a New York-based company, but I had obviously my L.A. side of it, and um, it was a great time, because I, I, my first catalog I bought was uh, a songwriter, an incredible songwriter named Franny Golding, and Franny, most noted for like, Commodore's Night Shift, Selena, um, God, some basically the biggest hit. Um, but she had been in Corner Chapel for like 28 years and only did avenues she never never thought she'd even sell her catalog dreaming of use use. and uh it took me a year to to get her to sell her catalog her publisher share of the catalog and it it was a big feather at the time because no one could believe that she would actually sell it let alone to uh I mean, uh,
0: yeah.
1: Obviously not even Warner Chapel, who I had to bid against, to the point where she even said to them, please, I don't want it to be here, I want it to be here. Because right? they could not bid me they really backed up and let her go. This new company. Um, so it was fun, but what it did lead to was something that really was an amazing opportunity, yet another half. We bought a company called Golden Records, which is classic children's the 60s and 70s. It was a book, Golden Records, and inside was always a record. Put on like 45, and it'd be like fairy tales. it Crosby singing to you or, or some incredible talent like that. And everyone as a child remembered this Golden Records. And so we thought, well, why don't we repurpose this, bring it back, because it was essentially dead. So we had the master tracks to all those original orchestrations from the 50s and the 60s. And they said to me, well, you're in Hollywood. You go find the talent to put on these tracks and let's re-release golden records to the world. Okay? So try dealing with agents and managers in a completely different genre who have no understanding of music business. How do you explain to them how they're going to make money. CD sale really took pennies, and what that to pennies to a big name artist, and, you know, talented actor, actress, and I got like I got Ed Asner as the first guy to come in, saying, he you, know, you, you, you did three Christmas, you did a Christmas Golden Records Christmas," and I'm like, "Oh my God, this is it!" And I was in the studio for each, and then it was uh, Cheryl Hines, and then I got. Uh, Susan Sarandon, and all of a sudden it started snowballing, and now I'm doing contracts that are completely different, dealing with agents and the craziness of it, and, uh, you know, Patrick Harris was phenomenal. I got him, and so I took a year, and we did three CDs, uh, and then we got the distribution, and they were in Walmarts, so and it was kind of like, wow, oh, I'm holding it, I actually didn't see the, you know, I was like, like a really.
0: yeah. That's so cool. That was fun. I'll have to check that out. I didn't even know that was out there.
1: Well, not many in that. So, the was tough. The problem was like, these great actors would come in and they do the work, and you expect them to, like, talk about it. And they literally, it was just like a job. They'd come in an hour later, out and out later, they'd be gone. And it was like,
0: hello, want talk about this great work. Yeah. Just, most of them did it because they had
1: kids and grandchildren and Doris Roberts from Raymond, she came in, and oh, I mean, she just these people were phenomenal talents—Wayne Brady and uh, Ziggy Marley—and it's like, and then it was like crickets. Once they finished, and we ended up having—I um, had Maria Menounos do it because she was actually on E, so I figured well she'll talk about it on E. So we had her come in and read. And she did some, and I think they ended up sending the crew to cover it or something like that so we did have that little of a moment
0: was... that is interesting because usually that stars and things like to talk about themselves a lot in all their projects you would think that you know that I would get out there
1: was, I was, I was really amazing
0: that's frustrating too from your perspective because you're trying to get it out there and, and it seems like a no-brainer to
1: so ironically the east part was getting the talent hardest part
0: is getting people aware of the actual product Yeah. making them want to go buy it
1: and care. You know, I mean, being
0: a you we know, need to lady. get NPR on, involved. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. Should have yeah. of what is Yeah, right. of course. It is such a weird time about, you know, now things get it's almost like people are famous before they have anything to be famous for.
1: It's Oh don't get me started.
0: It's a very okay. strange time.
1: Well, I, I I mean I watch the voice. I enjoy the voice, and I think I enjoy the voice because I enjoy the panel of judges. But I don't I don't go for you can sing someone else's song really well, and therefore you are automatically a star, and you get pay your dues, and you're just kind of thrusted out there, and you're like deer in the headlights. They mm-hmm. never toured. They don't have a clue pace the show and how we to that material and work in it because the next season's coming and no one's going to care about you unless you really are exceptional. Yeah. You know, I think history has proven that five out of God knows how many are going really massively
0: successful than the rest. Well, it's massive instant gratification. It's, well, you know, we all live in this it's sort saying. of weird mass life, you know, where you get that moment of orgasm and then psh, Onward to the next thing. But that's what it's like. Honestly. It's very. It's, I, listen, I watched the show and I think having this
1: feel, you know, it must be amazing to be, you know, everyone's at your back and call and it's really like you are a, quote, rock star. And if you're kicked off, it's like I'm moving to plates and you're back to going home. And,
0: yeah. I've, I've... I can't even tell you how many Uber drivers I've had that have been on all those shows which is very surreal.
1: But in the old days, the bar was high. You had to be exceptional, you had to be talented. Yeah. Certain pockets, of course, but.
0: I saw a funny meme today, it said, I long for the days when ugly people had record deals. <laughs> exactly, Because right. they had talent, you know, it wasn't.
1: all the 70s, but <laughs> you didn't have to look great, you just wrote great friggin' songs. Yeah. So like you're but you need 10 of his songs every day of the week. Yeah.
0: For me, it's also the authentic self. I feel like that people aren't willing to dig into their authentic self, the vulnerability of it, and because—and I think about this a lot of times when I do rounds. People want to hear the songs that are being, you know, that the artists have picked that you've written or you know whatever. And to me, when I do a round, I think, you know what? I'm going to do a song that means something to me because when I'm singing it, it's gonna it's gonna influence the people listening because it's. Truth, but it's like there's this weird thing, people have forgotten what it feels like to hear awesome. truth. It's a
1: gratification too. They want yeah, it has to be. how you know, I have two kids, 21 and 25, and I watch them their whole life and how they digest music. Get into a band, and I call it Good for a Summer. It's like, Oh, I'm into this band, look at that. And I'll ask them, it goes by so quick, Oh, no, no, no. Not into them anymore I mean back in my day it was like oh so and so releasing an album and of course you went it because you supported yeah. the hard string and you supported the act
0: Yeah.
1: It was unless they really put out a turret, you went half by
0: and
1: their high swipe everything sold so well back then they did stick with their
0: yeah.
1: favorite bands everybody could do well you'd have to just have, have everyone in that genre's record and it's okay
0: yeah, man, it's such a strange, such a strange thing. Where do you think music is heading? What do you think's going to, or do you have any idea? Or do you just try not to look?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Sometimes I sit back and I freak out, and then other times I think, you know what? I was freaking out five years ago. I was freaking out eight years ago. And until
0: but there's still great music being made. It's just not being put on the mainstream.
1: Right, so, but at the end of the day, I don't I mean, this music is always going to be here some way, shape, or form because without it. we just do not exist. But yeah. you know, there's exceptions. You know, all of a sudden Adele comes out and breaks every rule and says no, I don't have to look like this and I don't have to be like that. And like, uh, you know. Go to a demographic that isn't, I'm not chasing kids. I'm not chasing 13-year-olds who are going to just download or stream or rip off who's going to spend $17 and buy a without i blinking high, show up at my show and spend $200, and you're a great... You know,
0: she, it's an event.
1: Yeah, so, okay, and Taylor Swift sells eight million copies domestically of her album. You know why? She turned in a great friggin' album. Really catchy songs. So I think it's still possible, if you deliver the goods. Sure. You know, obviously... But also, the problem. the problem again: the talent though, you're Just the average with a one-hit song. You can't even back it up on an album. You maybe you
0: are not ready. Should... Well, I always find it to a bummer when you hear a song and you think, "Oh, well, I like this." You maybe hear a couple more, and then you go to a show, and it's so horrible live. Like yeah. Or they can't. They're, you know, they're way pitchy. Or you know, whatever it is. Now, of course, they have machines to make people sound like they can sing, but even live, of course. Yeah. yeah. It's all yeah. smoke and mirrors. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. No. Yeah. Okay.
1: Go to an Eagles concert. There you go. And where you watch each guy and you just go,
0: oh, Holy crap. Yeah, exactly.
1: Everything's harmonies everything just. But
0: there are a lot of those
1: backgrounds and a lot yeah. like that. that's, that's
0: why they got signed. But I mean, you've been in this business a long time, see, so I'm sure you've seen how cyclical it is. I think yeah. that there's always that section of time where it's kind of throw, not throw away music, but it's just not, it's not really touching people, it's feeding, again, that sort of weird, for lack of a better word, massivatory moments in time but then that comes back around and the relevant stuff, the important stuff, the stuff that sticks around forever.
1: Yeah. You know? It's funny, when I, it just reminded me when I was at Columbia, I remember, back yesterday it was George Michael's Faith album, Michael Jackson's Bad album, and Michael performed Man in the Mirror on American Music Awards. And I'll never forget, that they had the sound scan, which of course it wasn't via computer, or, or it was, but it was, the sizes of a telephone book and shredding up, like, you shred off the size, and they came in and go, oh my god, he's, he's sold a million albums this week from that performance. Like, one performance he put a million records, and then put a million the next week, George Michael, of course, whatever hit.
0: That record was like, so good.
1: Yeah, but there you go. From start to finish brilliant album. great marketing, great videos, that was the only Outlet visually see them other than live MTV, of course, helping everybody. Yeah. And these guys are moving a million units when really like it this happening. Because the fans were just.
0: It's incredible. Just, just for everybody. Yeah. It's really whispering. And timeless music as well. You Absolutely timeless.
1: Yeah.
0: Incredible.
1: It's not just signing a timeless artist. Yeah. It's, what is a timeless artist?
0: But so, what would you say to people that are are up and coming as a writer and as an artist? Because I think that sort of is a different thing. Do you, yeah. what are your well, sage yeah. words of writing. wisdom?
1: The Writing thing is to me it's like a it's you um, Yeah, it's going to be a tough road, no question about it. But uh, tenacious, just try as best you can to be heard. And, like the guy who created a fake letter or created five names for herself to be heard. It, I think it's kind of whatever it takes to be heard. You never know. You know one of these ask these have functions, and be exposed and things that are put out there for songwriters and, and it's the community of it. And, and, and looking with social media now, you have YouTube as a way to express and be heard. And, and you might have that something out that, for some reason, gravitates, you know, social media you way know, to be heard. Um, an artist, that's, boy, that's a tough, that's a, a real tough one. So.
0: Is it true that the, the labels and things, that they're really looking at the metrics more than even the talent, that, oh, well, if you have 50,000 followers on Twitter but you're not that great of an artist, we're still gonna sign you because we know that that's gonna parlay into sales, and so that becomes yes. the well, thing.
1: There was, there was the moment where just a few years back it was YouTube, and you covered Rihanna's umbrella,
0: and you had 10 million people view it. You clearly have done
1: something. And you know, I remember going to record labels in New York, and the art department, and people sitting on YouTube were just scouring. It was MySpace and YouTube, and it couldn't confirm how many people were following Yeah. A&R at that time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, YouTube still, help. now it's Spotify, If you have a million streams. That's the kind of threshold I hear, that a million gets label's attention. Yeah.
0: yeah. I need to get on this Spotify I keep hearing about. Uh,
1: Spotify, that's a tough one. <laughs>
0: I'm always wait <laughs> to every party.
1: Listen, <laughs> if you get on it, should be enough. If you got on on your own, without a major label's house and sustained it. Pretty damn impressive. And we do know a band that's doing that right now, you and I.
0: If what? So
1: you and I do know of a band that is doing that right now.
0: Yeah. Smithfield. Smithfield, yeah.
1: And Brennan, who are both in the
0: signings. Yeah.
1: Are on Spotify
0: on serious and they're Brennan That's and Smithfield two uh, so talented just ridiculous amounts of talent
1: and that took for me that was something to watch and, it was a timing thing and I didn't want to be into and I wanted to be at in at the right time and I felt that when I signed it, it was their time yeah it was before they got on before they really
0: got onto serious proper I'd him and it seemed to followed and everything similar. So, but it was, this is their moment. I was like,
1: yeah. Oh, and, I mean, and, I, and I looked at Brennan. I, I, Brennan was, I heard, it literally was, I was just about to go to the airport. Stephanie Green was our employee and something called her extraordinaire. She said, Oh, i got to play this guy before you And it was Brennan. He was like, oh, stop two songs, and I was in, it was it, I was done. Yeah. Look at it, in,
0: you hear it, it's the whole package. Oh, like, yeah. It's like, we, we uh, had that little party the other day that, in Brennan and Kelly came, and uh, I, the next day, a couple of my girlfriends were like, who was that guy? I'm like, oh, that's Brennan. <laughs> yeah, <bingo>. He's beautiful. <laughs> I want to punch him. I know.
1: <laughs> but it's like, okay, well, maybe, what's the backstory here? wrong situations in the past, wrong management, like, but now, I think he's a great, this is his time.
0: Yeah. Right? And
1: things are going to fall in place. it, it me, but, uh, this is everything.
0: This yeah. Is, this is everything wrong. Well, tenacity is such a huge part of it all, I mean, so, I remember when I first moved to Nashville, and I went to um, a symposium, a songwriter symposium, and, uh, and, and, I thought, well, you know, let's see what this is all about. You know, all these hit writers teaching about songwriting. And uh, it was weird. One of, the, one of the writers said, look around this room. And there was probably 150 people in this room. And he said, these are your contemporaries. You're going to be writing with these people. You're going to make friends. Most of you are new to town. And in a couple years, half of them will be gone. And in a couple more years, half again will be gone and a couple more, you know, and, and as you move through your years in Nashville, they'll fall away. And he was spot on right. I mean, there isn't a single person that I was friends with that I wrote with in the beginning of my writing career in Nashville yeah. that are even still writing. Wow. Yeah. It's like the, you know, you Rose on the plank in the middle of the sea, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, you're that person. <laughs> you know, I just remembered I was, in terms of uh, a young writer going out there hustling, and, and I, I was doing an ASCAP uh, at the expo, and I was um, mentoring. So I, I literally would just sit you down at a at the desk with you with a CD player and a headphones, and uh, an young writer would just walk up and go, here, and you put it on, you literally face to face, and you have to listen and go, what's positive here? What can I help them with? In the span of a song, you know, it would be an 80-year-old woman coming in or it would be a young girl and I never forget this woman walks in, she sits down and she see me on it and she's like, hit after hit after hit and I'm like, I literally, like, was looking at her and going, what are you doing here? Like, this is for beginners. This is like, and once I turn off the music and I start talking to her, she goes, I'm a BMI writer, I just like to get around and meet different people, and you know, this is an ASCAP, out She she's on and I've written oh, this hit for this one, it was like you know, Luke Bryan and all these and she just wanted her craft and wanted to get more feedback and, and meet more people, and I would, I'd love it, it was like, how bizarre you show up at an ASCAP event, and you're already a successful writer, so I ended up going, well, you and I need to talk afterwards, and she's already signed Driving write my writers, in a way, she was expanding her Rolodex, and it worked. I don't know how many other people of course have
0: worked for her, but it's well, I mean, just, that's okay. the thing is, you have you have to constantly be learning, you have to constantly be listening to music, and you have to constantly be meeting people. It's it's a never-ending,
1: it's a, a network, you
0: know, never-ending it's process. For
1: Nashville, you, mean, you can't do that in LA. Yeah, because of the way Nashville's set up. Can't turn the corner without running into somebody, and everyone's
0: right. Some are. Yeah. It's and again, nice. opportunity knocks. It doesn't beg. Yeah. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. It's Have your yeah. Thank you for talking with me today. It's, a blast. <laughs> it's, okay. it's fun. Thank you. We'll see you soon. In October at Brennan's show at Wild Horse. So we'll plug that too. Brennan's playing the Wild Horse Saloon uh, on it's is it October thirteenth. 13th. October thirteenth. Lucky thirteenth. So. <laughs> Alright, bye everybody. Bye
1: bye.